Welcome to Power and Pleasure, all things women's health uncensored. I'm your host, Kim Billick. I'm a women's hormone health coach and womb healer. And yes, this podcast is going to be raw and juicy. We are going to be talking about all things women's health uncensored. We'll be talking about periods, hormone health, ways to improve your sex life, pregnancy, miscarriage, and those things going on down there that maybe you're just too embarrassed to ask your doctor, talk to your partner about, maybe even your girlfriends. Consider this podcast Real Girl Talk, and it's going to leave you knowing more about your body, about your menstrual cycle, your periods, and so much more. Welcome. Welcome back to Power and Pleasure, all things women's health uncensored. And today, let's say uh, we have a topic that's pretty taboo and we're going to get real about it. I have an amazing guest here with me, Vienna Fairlow, and we are going to be talking about abortion. And let's face it, especially what's going on here at the U.S. in the last, what, year and a half now? Wow, time flies when you think about it. Um, I think this it's made this topic even more controversial. So Vienna, I just want to give her an amazing quick introduction. And Vienna, you could talk in more to what you do. But Vienna is a holistic reproductive health practitioner and owner of the consultant. I love the name. It's <laughs> so amazing. And she is a fertility awareness educator. And with that, she teaches women how to avoid pregnancy, achieve pregnancy naturally, yes, without birth control. And she is passionate about reproductive justice, abortion access, and so much more. And Vienna, is there anything else that you would love to add? I know you have a long bio here, but I really wanted to touch base on some of the big highlights that you have here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Kim. Um, no, I'm very enthusiastic about the menstrual cycle, about vaginas, um, about saying the word cunt in a professional setting. Um, those are things I'm very excited about. Um, but yes, I teach a fertility awareness method. I'm certified in the justice method, which is kind of how I look at so much of the work I do is through the lens of what's happening inside your menstrual cycle beyond just having a period. And so using that as a vital sign using that as a guide for how you want to live or just learning more about it. Um, and of course, that goes into all these other pathways. Um, so very, uh, pro, I, I like to use the term um, pro-abortion. I like to say I am pro-abortion versus pro-choice, um, which, you know, it depends on how you want to say it. Um, I like to take a reproductive justice informed approach with working with clients or in just how I see the work I do in the world um, and just here to support people and wherever they are in their journey around fertility. I do basically everything except pregnancy at this point. <laughs> so I talk to people around that whole, like all the other spaces of that spectrum, except pregnancy right now that can change in the future. Yeah. And there, that's a lot to cover. That really is. <laughs> And thank you for doing the amazing work that you do. Uh, we definitely need more of these conversations, more of this education and more women out there, you know, supporting women and their choices and educating them about their bodies. Because, I mean, we're going to get into this more today. But like I said, there's just so much taboo and stigma, stigma behind never not just abortion, but our periods still yeah. like 2024. Yeah, it's. 
it is so funny. And I'm sure you have the same experience where you're in this bubble of like you talk, you know, your Instagram, your social media, the people you're talking to. A lot of those people work in menstrual health in some way. And so I kind of get to a point I'm like, well, everyone knows the intricacies of ovulation, right? And it, then you talk to just anyone else doing anything else in their life. And you're like, oh, actually, I have <laughs> I'm in this one little bubble. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really exciting work. It's really important work. I'm always reminded of that when I have a meeting with a client who wants some information and hasn't been given this before. So yeah, I think it's very vital to our experiences as people with menstrual cycles. Yes, yes, it is. And so getting into today's topic and just talking about abortion. And like I said, I'm here in Florida, which is very restrictive right now in regards to um, abortions. It's you have six weeks and let's face it, a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant until five, five and a half weeks. I know some women I've talked to, they didn't realize, you know, until seven, eight weeks, because if you're not having a regular period, how, how are you supposed to know that you are actually pregnant? Right. And then Vienna, she's in California, which thankfully is, um, a lot more opened. And, you know, this is one area that you still have abortion access, but, you know, uh, I know you're very, you know, supportive in this stuff. And just to first talk into a little bit, you know, um, how it kind of looks in the U.S. right now in regards to where you have access. And if you live in a place like Florida or Texas, what are some options women have? Yeah, I mean, those are all very big questions. I kind of want to start with, um, I mean, I guess the the most important thing to say with that question is that Abortion is still legal within the United States. It just depends on what state you're in. So depending on the state in which you reside, there are going to be different restrictions and potentially different legal ramifications for accessing abortion. As a whole, abortion is still like legal. Um, It's not like if, you know, it, it depends. It really does depend on where you are. Um, And that's important to reiterate because there is also a narrative, I think, that gets brought around of like it's illegal everywhere and that's just not true um a lot of the laws i'm not a lawyer and i'm not like up on every single intricacy but i'm going to give you some resources to look into this for yourselves um most of the abortion bans and restrictions when they are tied to criminal or um civil like um proceedings like if you could be charged criminally most of those charges are going to be for people who are helping someone get an abortion or performing the abortion. So one of the first kinds of these laws that we saw in Texas, which was a couple of years ago now, um, where essentially Texas put a bounty on any citizen could report any other citizen for helping someone achieve an abortion. So that could be like you drove your friend to a clinic or you, you know, gave someone some educational information potentially or anything or you just assisted them um all the way to the person who performs the procedure those people could all have been um prosecuted and any citizen of texas could have brought that person to i believe civil court i believe it was a civil proceeding i might not be right on that but that was like one of the first things and then we've seen more things like that throughout the country So what that ends up looking like in many cases is that doctors will be criminalized um, for providing abortion care, which is health care, which is something that many doctors are trained in, which is just a way that we manage reproduction and pregnancy. Um, 
historically as human beings, this is not new. Abortion is not new. Um, what that means is like your gynecologist or the person who provides the abortion could face like could become a felon depending on the state and depending on what kind of case was brought against them. And that means that they lose their job. They go to jail. They may face fines. Then, you know, the whole like incarceration system is an entirely different topic. But I think we all are aware that becoming a felon is generally not something that most of us want to do and has severe ramifications on the rest of our lives. Um, So a lot of these um, a lot of the way that these bans and laws work is by targeting people providing abortion care versus the actual person seeking the abortion. And so that is a bit of a, a loophole as well to still allow it to be constitutional. And mm-hmm. so with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, with the Dobbs decision, that removed our constitutional protection to abortion in this country. Um, but I would also say lots of people have said this before as well. Roe v. Wade never really went for, far enough in what it protected. It was truly about privacy between you and your doctor and what you were allowed to do in that case. Um, so when that was overturned, the existing uh, abortion bans, like abortion laws in different states, could no longer could go back into effect. I guess to say it backwards. Um, so there was already laws existing in many states that banned abortion. Roe v. Wade overturned those laws. The overturning of Roe v. Wade put those laws back into effect, and then additional laws have been made from there. Great explanation. That no, that that's <laughs> no that that was really good and. Um, I, I'm not a lawyer either. And I just say from, you know, looking at the map when they do it, it's like a lot of the Southern states where I am, mm-hmm. uh, the coastal line seems like where it's a little bit more, you, uh, little more open. Is that the good word? Is that the right word to use? Yeah, I would say probably if I'm saying to this, like we were talking before, if it's a state that you think might restrict abortion, it probably has. Um, so where you're going to see the most um, accessibility for abortion is probably on both coasts. So the East Coast and the West Coast. And then some of like the northern states and maybe some of the southwestern states. Um, I believe Hawaii and Alaska are also quite um, permissive of abortion. Um, so you should look up your state and find out what's available or what you know could be a potential barrier for you. One website that's really great is abortionfinder.org. So abortionfinder.org. Uh, they list what's like what the state laws are. They don't necessarily tell you like what kind of legal ramifications you might face. Um, that's going to be a different question to figure out. Um, there is a really amazing organization called If When How, which provides a variety of like legal resources around abortion care and access. Um, so if you have they have a legal helpline. I don't know. Again, with lawyers and like what can actually constitute their advice. But that's another option to just kind of find out what's available to you um, in in that regard. So people have been criminalized for abortions like that has happened prior to um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But they were criminalized for self-managed abortion, which is becoming more of a topic, um, especially in light of, you know, the recent legal decisions. So self-managed abortion. And then that is slightly different than something you would seek in clinic. So there is still like all kinds of gray areas and ways that people can access abortion. 
Um, and one of the most common ways now is through medication abortion. Um, and so, I mean, briefly, I guess to say self-managed abortion was historically and still is abortion that's done outside of a clinic in which like the person seeking the abortion is also providing their own care to some degree. Um, and spe generally speaking, that would mean through using medication abortion or herbal abortion. Um, herbal abortion is kind of historically how we've done a lot of um, abortion, like, uh, miscarriage management and abortion management as human beings. Um, we could talk a little bit about herbal abortion if you want to. Um, but uh, even prior to, you know, the last couple of years, people were accessing pills either through clinics or through other means and taking them at home and kind of managing their care that way. So that's one way of defining self-managed abortion versus like you go to the clinic and they give you the pills or you do a procedure. Yeah. And self-managed with the pills at home is a safe method in doing it. Like I think there's, yeah. there's still um, a fear from women that, oh, is this a safe way to do it? But it, it definitely is. And yeah. I, I think of, I had a, a woman that I know here and she thought she was pregnant. She wasn't, but she came to me and she was like, what do I do? Cause she's like, I'm past, you know, six weeks. And so that's what I said to her. I was like, if you are first, you of course go get the pregnancy test. But if you are, there are options for you. You can order it through mail and you could get it straight to your house and you will be okay. Yeah. And there is always, I mean, I think per, well, there's always been ways for people to access pills. I would say right now in this moment, a really good option is plancpills.org. Um, they don't sell the pills, but they help connect you to places where you can purchase them from reliable resources. Um, so yeah, medication abortion, you can get it through telehealth. And so um, so much of that has expanded over the last few years, along with like telehealth expansion due to COVID, essentially. So Plan C Pills is a really, really excellent resource, especially for a variety of reasons, right? So if you live in a state where you are trying to self-manage and it's heavily restricted and you're looking for options, um, that is a place you can go. If you live in a state where it's not heavily restricted, but you just want to be able to manage it at home, also a great option. There's a variety of reasons people access medication abortion. Um, it's generally considered to be safe before 13 weeks. Um, so we're kind of looking at first trimester really for um, utilizing it. It's very safe. It's not to say that people don't have complications or things can't arise, but generally speaking, it is considered to be safe. It is used around the world it's been used for many, many years at this point. It is FDA, FDA approved, regardless of what some of these other <laughs> lawsuits are claiming. It is still, you know, it is considered to be a very safe method of ending a pregnancy. Um, so I would encourage people to look into that as an option versus um, we could again, we can talk about herbs, but versus herbs like as your first route, I would say the medication abortion is something I would recommend. Um if you're looking for doing something out of clinic, if you don't want to do an in-clinic procedure, things like that. Um, herbs are also really awesome, but require a different level of knowledge and I would say relationship with plants. Um, whereas like the abortion pills are very well studied and we kind of have specific dosages and idea of how that unfolds for individuals. Um, so, I mean, I can talk about what does that look like? What does abortion well, medication look like? 
Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I was going to say, even with the herbs, if you're going to take it, I feel just especially like you said, like you need to have a a relationship with with a herbal medicine. I'm going to call it medicine. Yeah, Uh, you I feel the ideal way would still to have a practitioner, whether it's a holistic practitioner. I'm not sure if that's something you kind of specialize in, but I know there are some women that that is what they do. Yeah, I would say if you are interested in herbal routes, I would work with someone who has experience in that way. Um, I don't I'm not an herbalist. One resource I send people to is a a book by Samantha Zipporah called Please Bleed, which is all about um, herbs and their assistance in ending pregnancies. Um, So I think that's a really good place to start. But I would also say. I think sometimes we want to use herbs because we see them as like a more natural approach and therefore a better approach. And that is, you know, herbs are powerful. Herbs are medicine. Um, If you don't know what you're doing with medicines, like you wouldn't just randomly take a bunch of medications without understanding their ramifications and you should treat herbs in a similar way. Um, It I it would be if someone was coming to me and saying, I'm pregnant, I don't want to be pregnant and I want to use herbs to end a pregnancy. Um, I would just want to have a conversation about them of like, why is that their choice? What, um, what are their motivations there? How do they feel about if it doesn't work or how long it would take for it to work? Um, so I'm not in any way against herbal abortion, but I would say if you're, for most people, the desire is to stop being pregnant as soon as possible and as reliably as possible. Um, and in which case I would say medication abortion and or a procedure in clinic um, are going to be your better options. Um, But it's it's very individual. Um, And I'm a big believer in people managing their care how they see fit with as much informed consent as possible. Yeah. And and that, you know what, I have to say, that's like a big thing that I love that you're speaking on, like making the decision for yourself because, you know, with abortion, but even I will say with birth control, uh, a lot of times women are just told what to do. And there's, you know, there's no question of like, what do you feel is best for you? Yeah. You're just told by the provider, this is kind of what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I think especially with, with, I mean, as we both know, right, when it comes to reproductive health care for women and menstruators, if you have a uterus, right, you're kind of told you're managed quite a lot once you hit puberty of here's how you manage your fertility. Here's what's responsible. Here's what's irresponsible do the right thing, all these different things, which takes, I think, often um, has a very particular view of when someone should get pregnant, who should get pregnant, how they should get pregnant um, and how to prevent that from happening at the quote unquote wrong times. Um, And those are very personal decisions, very, the very individual, but sometimes we're not invited into a dialogue with our practitioners about what do you as the person, what are you looking for and how can we support you in your goals? Um, I think that is changing. Honestly, I feel like that has changed even in the, like the short time I've been working in this field. Um, how doctors talk about providing care has shifted, not everywhere and not for all providers, certainly. Um, but yes, to your point, like we're just kind of told like, well, this is what you should do. You should go on the pill because you don't want to get pregnant, right? You're like 16. You don't want to get pregnant go on the pill. Oh, you have any kind of side effect that you don't enjoy or it's making you feel weird. It doesn't matter because you don't want to get pregnant or just Um, try a different one (laughs) or just try a different one. And sometimes that's helpful, right? Like, you know, it's, it's different formulations of different kinds of like hormones and all those things. And that can impact people in ways that feel better or worse. Um, 
but it isn't like there isn't as much inquiry as to what the individual wants, right? Like, and what would work best for their situation. And in some situations, like 24 seven hormonal birth control is the best option, right? Like that is I've, I've used it. It 100% works for lots of people and is a great option. And then for other people, it's like, I don't want to, or I cannot, or I will not use hormonal um, birth control. What are my other options? Then we're looking at things like barriers and or fertility awareness methods and or you know, other other options there, like sometimes surgical, depending on how, how pro or anti you are about any kind of child rearing in your future. Um, and those are all highly individual, but we're usually just given one thing of like what's most effective at preventing pregnancy above all with little, little regard for your sexual wellness, your emotional wellness, um, any of those other pieces of your life. And I think largely because historically we just don't think and I'm going to say like women historically as a group um, aren't seen as worthy of having sexual desires or that our sexual desires are wrong or that we don't have any sexual desires. And if we did, it doesn't matter anyway, because it's all about what the man wants. Again, speaking in very general historical terms about gender um, and us even being able to have, you know, uh, legitimate sexual desires is still quite a radical concept. Oh, for sure. For sure. I had this uh, conversation with my aunt and great aunt over Christmas <laughs> and I come from like a Catholic Ukrainian background. And so I was like educating them. And I was like, I'm here to educate. I was saying this to my aunt. I'm like, I'm here to educate you what your mom didn't educate you. And her mom was sitting right there. But it just shows how times are are changing and we get to have these conversations. Right. Uh Definitely. I mean, also, I think it's so the conversations are so good. And I think it's also interesting how women and again, I'm all for like people identifying however they identify, historically speaking about women, how we've managed our care, you know, even like with things like contraception and things like abortion, we've been doing this forever um, with varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but passing that information along and sharing that with like mother to daughter and friend to friend, midwife to patient, you know, like all of that information. Um, these are not new. It's just, we have better tools to, to use and like more effective tools. Um, and we also have more rights we've historically had, um, and a place in society. Yeah. And I think this is a beautiful, like segue into saying how, you know, historically all this information has been passed on, you know, some, I know this isn't directly related to abortion, but like the red tent where women would come together and support one another through menstruation. So along abortion, let's face it right now, there's still a lot of stigma around it, a lot of shame Mm -hmm. around it. Women are carrying their story and not sharing it with anybody. But I will say from experience as a woman myself and also experience in a women's sharing circle, like when women come together and one woman shares her story, not only is it healing for her, but there's so much healing that happens for the women that are hearing that story. Because a lot of times there's at least half of them could relate to it. Like we all have our own story and our own journey, but there's some similarities. So with that being said, uh, you know, I know you're a big advocate of abortion support. So if you have and you may even have an actual case study or story you could share on, you know, that woman that, OK, she decided to have the abortion. Maybe she's had it already or maybe she's waiting to have it. Like, 
What would support look like? I don't know if you have any resources specifically because you have provided a lot of good resources. I'll put that all in the show notes so people have easy access to it. But um, do you have anything to share around that? Yeah. So I, you know, some of my work includes being an abortion doula um, and what that looks like. It depends on where someone is at in their timeline. So Sometimes that looks like options counseling. So someone coming to me and saying, I'm pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. Or maybe I have a bunch of feelings about being pregnant, kind of talking through or giving them space to kind of talk through whatever is coming up for them in a non-judgmental way. Um, If they do want to have an abortion, going through what the options are available to them, either like in their area or what that they what they would prefer. And so that is a conversation around like, okay, here's medication. Here's some of the risks. Here's what to expect with a medication abortion. Um, here's what the in-clinic procedures might be if you have those available to you, what that accessing them might look like. Um, it depends. I don't know if I can always give people good breakdowns on what things would cost, but there's, you know, there's also abortion funds that help people access abortion care if you can't pay for it or if you need other support like childcare or travel assistance, things like that. So coming up with a plan of action, basically, like here's options, here's things you may not have been aware of are available to you. Here's things you could try. I mean, I think talking to people about, I mean, medication abortion is one option, but it's not the only option, even in the first trimester. Um, It's more accessible for certain reasons. But if you had a really poor experience with abortion medication in the past, or you're concerned about side effects, or, you know, you don't have a safe place to like, you know, go through the procedure at home or somewhere else. In-clinic procedures can, if you can access it, can be really great for a lot of reasons. One of them just being quickness, right? Like they're just, you're, you're in there for a very short period of time. It's typically vacuum aspiration. They clear the contents of the uterus and that's it. And so it is clinical and you have to like, and you have to go in person and there's lots of downsides to that. And just depending on your relationship to like clinical care and all those things, but it is quite quick. And that is also a benefit. And you don't have to like go through the process of kind of waiting for your body to um, release the contents of the uterus with medication abortion. It's it's definitely less popular just from access, but I think in clinic procedures, you know, are have a really important role still as well, or just um, surgical procedures, um, which in, and surgical doesn't always mean like cutting. It means like, you know, the cervix is something you can access through. It has a, a opening through it. So a lot of that time it is vacuum aspiration. So yeah, so a little bit of procedures, what the person needs in that time. Um, I do sometimes provide support for people in the middle of their process. So like if they're taking pills at home, you know, going over what to expect, being there, you know, either physically or virtually to support them through that, answering questions, providing other kinds of emotional support. Sometimes people want to create a whole like little ceremony around it or some kind of ritual experience. Um, I've supported people through that, which I think can be really awesome. I think um, (laughs) I've said this before, um, but I think we should have luxury abortions. And what I mean by that is like a luxurious experience of having, of releasing a pregnancy. And we do this around birth, right? Like all the like pain management and birth is, you know, a full term delivery versus a first trimester abortion are very different things. And at the same time, you are releasing a pregnancy. So pregnancy release is a term, again, from Samantha Zipporah, which I really like because essentially your uterus is doing that job. It is releasing Mm -hmm. 
the it's releasing a pregnancy. And from your body's perspective, it's pretty neutral on that. Right. Miscarriage is a natural part of reproduction, not a fun part, kind of a terribly shitty part, but it's a natural part of reproduction, as is live birth, um, as is abortion. And so we've been doing abortions. Anyone who tells you abortion is some kind of new modern thing is wrong. We've been ending pregnancies throughout human existence in a variety of ways. Um, So your uterus knows what to do, right? Um, So kind of focusing on that and saying, okay, why don't we give like support to people who are ending pregnancies in the same way we do for people who are delivering? Um, I think it, it I think it does deserve the same level of care and respect. And it's it's different. I'm not going to say it's not different. Right. You have an infant at the end of one, like it's a whole different life experience, but it still deserves care and nurturing and saying this thing happened and we want to support you through this. However, that person identifies with that experience. And some people don't want that. Some people are like, just get it over with. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm done. And some people want to make a whole big deal out of it. And I think both are great. Um. And then, you know, aftercare too. So after someone has a procedure, if they want to like talk through any feelings that come up, stuff like that. So that's a very long way of saying these are all the different things I help people with. And I would say in general, abortion doulas can assist people with. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you are an abortion doula. And, you know, I think that's so amazing because like you said, through pregnancy, you hear of doulas and, you know, abortion the woman, she is still going through that process of a pregnancy, whether you, like you said, even if it's just the first trimester, there's still that hormonal shift. And once you have that release, that abortion release of, I'm going to say of that soul that's leaving you, there's going to be that uh, hormonal shift once again. And that could cause other hormonal imbalances, whether it's hair loss, uh, you know, different issues with your period. So to have this support is is really important. Yeah. And again, not to like, I guess one point I, w- I want to say is that for many people, having an abortion is a significant moment in their lives. And that's not to say like, you know, oh, I had an abortion, it ruined my life and now I'm depressed. Like actually research shows that the vast majority of people who seek abortions are much um, more mentally healthy and stable following an abortion than people who don't. Um, there's a great book to check out called The Turnaway Study. That's a really excellent book I recommend checking out. But all that to say, it is a significant event for many people. Um, and, you know, some people it's not. And that is also fine. It's how you relate to it. But because of that, like finding some support around it, either like talking to a therapist, talking to someone you trust, talking, sharing in a women's circle or some kind of support circle. Um, those can all be really, really powerful with, of course, the caveat, I would also say of like, depending on where you live, that could open you up for criminal proceedings. So, or someone else for, so, you know, in, in light of, which is really horrible. It's just, it's horrible that you could face any kind of ramifications, like legal, especially for seeking care that you know to be the right choice for you. Um, but being aware of that too, I mean, the, the way that people get turned in, the way that people face these proceedings is because someone reported it to the authorities. Um, and that happens when, you know, you don't share with the right person or you share with someone who like is really anti-abortion or really freaked out or feels like something, you know, terribly wrong has happened and they don't know what to do. Um, so this can be, you know, family turns family and sometimes friends. Uh, care providers, all of those things. So it, also just to be cognizant of where you are and what you're sharing and how that could impact you or other people. Um, but generally speaking, I do think we should talk about our experiences to our level of comfort 
um, and publicly to our level of healing, right? So some things are, we still have to process them until we feel ready to fully share them. Um, but Ooh, I, th- okay. I think it is, it is really important to share these stories. Definitely. Yeah. I, I like how you say that sharing the story to process, because I, I work um, not just with abortion, but just in general, like that womb healing is that somatic work. So actually like speaking or writing and moving, you know, these are all practices to help release that. And so think if you're just keeping the story of your abortion just to yourself, there could be that could. And like Vianna saying, everyone um, looks at their abortion a little bit differently in the process of it. But just by speaking it, you, you're releasing it. It is part of the healing, the healing journey. And the other thing I will say is just from conversations I have, and Vianna could probably speak into this too, is so many women think that they're like one of the few that has had an abortion. And I feel like, I want to say one in four women have probably had one, maybe even one in three, somewhere in there. It's a lot higher than what we expect. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember any statistics off the top of my head right now. I'm blanking. I think one of the ones I remember, though, is that most people who seek abortions actually already have children. Mm-hmm. And I think we have this idea um, that people who get abortions are teenagers who are irresponsible um, and didn't use birth control or just like some kind of, you know, we love to blame teenagers for being irresponsible all the time or just like, you know, slut shaming people, shaming them for whatever kind of sect they're up to. Um, And that's not true. It is generally speaking, people who seek abortion already have children and understand how challenging and important and difficult and wonderful the job of being a parent is and understand that having additional children is not the right choice for them at this point in time or ever because they have children they need to care for for already. And it's, you know, anti-abortion propaganda is always about like you're murdering a baby and it focuses on this hypothetical baby in person that does not exist and may not exist. Not all pregnancies end in live births. Like that is also a, a statistic that we don't talk about. Um, most do, but not all of them. Um, so this idea that like, oh, it, it's like murder or whatever. I just don't subscribe to that in any way. Um, but a lot of times it's some, you know, I refer, I would just say, go talk to Samantha Zipporah because I've learned a lot from her and I'm always going to be dropping things that I've learned from her. But another thing she says is saying no to some, no to a pregnancy is saying yes to something else. Mm-hmm. And this, I, again, an idea that like, you know, women seeking abortions have made some irresponsible choice in their life. That's not true. Um, it's, it is usually you're saying this has happened and I am making a responsible choice because I have other things in my life that need tending to. Um, and that is a really sacred, important choice that people make all the time. Um, and I, yeah, I think the other important piece that we all need to acknowledge is that if you have, you know, if you are someone with a uterus, function uterus and ovaries and you're ovulating, um, and you have sex that could lead to a pregnancy, you might get pregnant. It doesn't matter what kind of birth control option you're using. They all fail except for like, you know, full hysterectomy. Um, that's it. There is always a failure rate. So even if you are like, quote unquote, the most responsible person using a hormonal IUD and you have sex that where semen ends up in the vagina, you could get pregnant. It is possible. So you could do everything in your power to try to avoid it. Um, I guess if you're still having sex with someone with sperm, then there's always that risk. But 
it's not irresponsibility. It's biology. Like at a certain point, sometimes things just happen and it's it, it, it's beyond your control, which you can also ask anyone who's trying to get pregnant about like how beyond your control it is to get pregnant or not get pregnant in some cases. Yeah. And it's so unfair that everything gets put on the woman. Like yeah. when really there is a huge factor, male factor. And, you know, you're talking into getting pregnant. I mean, us women alone, our window is only what, 12 to 24 hours. Roughly like the egg is viable. Yeah. You know, uh, on our own, it's because of the sperm that our fertility window is actually longer because the sperm could stay up or live in us for up to five, five days. Right. So that makes it yeah. longer. And before we jumped on here, you may, had such a great quote that you said to me in regards to male sperm. And I, yeah. It's really important to share this with the listeners. Yeah. So there's um, I can't remember her actual name, but I believe her Instagram handle and maybe her um, blog is called Design Mom. And she wrote this piece several years ago now um, about abortion. And she is a Mormon mother of six. So this is a lady who like has had many children and knows what it means to have children. And her whole piece is about how 100 percent of unwanted pregnancies are due to irresponsible ejaculation. And there is like there is a really it takes two to tango. It, it and that is, you know, an overused phrase, but bears repeating in this context. It is not one person making a mistake if you want to put it that way or one person contributing this situation. It's two. And and one of those person has sperm. Um and so that's not to say that like people with sperm or men don't also want to avoid pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy. I think they do. I think many men and people with sperm want to be responsible sexual partners, but sometimes condoms break or sometimes, you know, you're doing withdrawal and you think you got it, but you don't. Or there is always that small possibility that pre-cum contains live sperm and that could result in a pregnancy. So even then, um, and then there's lots of really shitty male partners who, you know, don't, are not responsible at all with where they are putting their semen. Um, you know, when we were doing boy math a few months ago, I think it's still floating around. But one of my favorite boy math memes was boy math is wanting zero kids, but refusing to wear condoms. Wild makes zero sense, zero sense at all. Um, and then somehow being perhaps upset that someone gets pregnant or they get pregnant and they decide they want to keep the baby. And then all of a sudden you're a parent, what you feel like is against your will, but you, you know, contributed to that situation and also vice versa. Someone becomes pregnant and they don't want to be pregnant. And then you're also upset that they're choosing to end a pregnancy that you contributed to. And look, I'm spiraling a bit right here, but yeah. like that idea of like, you know, you did, you, you made some choices perhaps in some cases and in other cases, it's just like, again, biology happened. Um, but we do, we do, you know, the, the people with the sperm have an active role to play in all of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't care if you spiraled, like you're really highlighting it. Like ladies don't put all the blame on yourself. Like it's not all on you. <laughs> it really yeah. does take two to tango. Yeah. And you, if you have, I mean, I think that's always something that's really important to explore within um, your relationships with people um, to say if, you know, as fertility awareness educators, right. So a lot of people I talk to do have a goal of not using condoms. They want to just, you know, use withdrawal as their primary method with like the added understanding of fertility awareness, which is fine. It's your sex life and your, you know, you get to choose however you want to manage that. It is 
riskier from a pregnancy standpoint, but not, you know, withdrawal when done effectively is quite effective. But then I have talked to people where they're in situations where like, well, my partner really doesn't want to use condoms anymore. So I want to learn fertility awareness because he doesn't want to use condoms. And in which case I'm like, all right, well, look, if you don't want to use condoms and he doesn't want to use condoms and you're united in this, that's great. But if it's someone like through some kind of coercive means being like, I don't want to do this thing. So therefore you have to do this other thing so we can do the thing I want, regardless of what you want. That's not cool. That is like sexual coercion. That's not that's not okay. Um, And again, if it's a shared goal, that's fine. And I also know, like, I've heard many, many stories about men who are like, I'm not going to use condoms because I'm really good at withdrawal and we're just going to do withdrawal. And guess what? A pregnancy occurs. Um, So I think, you know, assessing people we're with, the people we're having sex with, how much we trust their ability to actually do what they say they're going to do is an important factor, especially especially if you're considering using non-hormonal methods of contraception. on, you know, I think doing a, as much of a frank assessment of the people you're having sex with um, is important. And especially if you're trying not to get pregnant, th- those are important questions to ask yourself. You are providing so much good information, things to think about, because I think when you're in the act of like having sex, are you really thinking about all this stuff, you know? Yeah. So, but oh, 100%. It's, it's don't, really. Don't- Yeah. Don't have this conversation. Don't do this assessment in like the height of sex, because like we all know that's that's a bad. That's going nowhere. And you throw some you throw some drinks in there yet, too. And it's like out the window. (laughs) No, these are very sober, very like, um, you know, where where no one is aroused in any way conversations. Yeah. yeah. But what I say, think is like right now, whoever's listening to this right now, I'm assuming they're maybe by themselves sober, not with their partner. And you get to be like, okay, I get to have this conversation now, or I get to just reflect where I'm at in my sexual life and what I'm wanting and like making these decisions. So uh, I appreciate and thank you for all the resources and information that you have provided. Yeah. I mean, also to say on that point too, it's also okay if you're ambivalent pregnancy. I think sometimes we, we, there is an assumption that everyone knows exactly where they are in their relationship to whether or not they want to get pregnant. And that goes for men and women, people with sperm, people with ovaries, right? Like um, those, not everyone knows. And there, it, for a lot of people, there is a certain degree of ambivalence of like, well, if I got pregnant, then I'd figure it out when I got there. And that's okay. Um, especially, you know, it, there doesn't have to be a black and white answer. Um, my goal in saying that is just to take a moment to say like, okay, is this, are we aligned on what we want from a sexual experience? Not just like, what are we doing with sex? But there are, you know, there are other ramifications of heterosexual intercourse um, and thinking about what that means to you as an individual. And what does that mean to your partner? I mean, even asking your partner their feelings around abortion before you become sexually involved is an important question to ask because it could happen. Um, and you might find yourself in that situation with someone who has a very different idea of what they would want to happen in that case. Um, and again, you might, you might get there and realize you want to do something entirely different that you never thought you would. And that's also very valid. Um, and so I think in part of this, like the shame of it all, right. The shame of like, oh, I did something wrong or I did something that society doesn't think is right. That comes up all the time with abortion. But I really just want to say, like, abortion is a natural part of how humans have managed fertility throughout time. It is not new. Um, and it is a valid healthcare choice. 
And it is a really ask any parent <laughs> about bringing children into the world. It is a big deal. And so I do think if you have a uterus, it is it is it is not fair, right? None of this actually when we get down to like the nitty-gritty of reproduction, I don't think like fairness really comes into it or equality or equity in it, because there are just like realities of biology. Um, but you know, part of having a uterus is managing what happens inside that uterus. And it is inhumane and unjust for anyone to interfere with your ability to decide what happens inside your body. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Where can uh, the listeners find you, Vanna? Like if anyone's going through an abortion or had one, is thinking about it, I think, you know, Vienna would be an amazing person for support. Um, and you just, you do really provide a lot of great information on your Instagram. Uh, that's where I first connected with Thank her. You. Yeah. So Instagram. Where, where could they find you? So, I mean, right now, the only place I'm active in any way is Instagram. Um, I'm going to eventually get on TikTok once it's the thing that no one wants to be on anymore, I guess. But you can find me on Instagram at the cunt sultant, but it looks like the cavunt sultant. So you can't say cunt in your Instagram handle for some reason. Um, so it's T-H-E-C-V-N-T-S-U-L-T-A-N-T. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is thecuntsultant.com. Um, I work with people for an extended period of time to learn how to chart their cycles. I also do one-off cunt sultations. So if you just need to talk to somebody about something going on down there, and that can also include abortion, it can include just like general fertility awareness discussion. It can, you know, talk about whatever's happening in your vagina. I'm happy to connect with you there as well. And if you could see the video right now of Vienna, she has a vagina pillow behind her. <laughs> You get to play if you're ever in my actual physical office, like spot the vulva. So we have um, the vagina blog, vulva pillow back here. And then this is I see painting. the photos. Yeah. yeah. Your yeah. head was blocking it before. Yeah. Now you can see the now, vulvas. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's some other ones that you can't. I mean, then we have like some, you know, um, Georgia O'Keefe over here. Yeah. So there's there's a you can't even see the ones that are in front of me. Anyway, that's a fun game you can play in my house. It's spot the vulva sound uh, that sounds fun for, for me anyway um thank you so much once again for being here and sharing such valuable information i think i mean this information isn't just everywhere and it should be in more places so thank you and once again to the listeners i'll be putting everything in the show notes all the resources that vienna shared today so be sure to check it out thank you so much for having me this was so fun you're welcome you're welcome